This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, welcome back to another exciting edition of the Decibel Geek Podcast. I am Aaron Camaro. Joining me, as always, my broadcast partner, Chris Zinzak. We've got a good one lined up for you for you today. Absolutely. Uh, this is going to be fun. Um, I guess growing up, I wasn't really the biggest Vixen fan. <laughs> I wasn't a, a, the biggest Vixen fan, but I certainly was aware of them at the right. time. Right, yeah, everybody was aware of them. I mean, they were the chick band of that whole and I, genre. And I certainly had a, a poster of them up on my ceiling when I was going through puberty. You. Yeah. You. What's with last week and let's this not, week? Yeah, let's we, not I've mention really, that. I've really turned into like the masturbation podcaster, I, I think I? you're trying to you're <laughs> trying to turn this into a, a side project thing where you get your own show, the Chris Zinzak Masturbation Yeah, Award. it's all about beating off. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about it. We're going to do it live on the air. No. That's... Let's not do that. All right, I'll zip back up. Zip back up. <laughs> keep it in your pants. We've got Jan, how do you say it? How Jan you... Kuhneman. Kuhneman. I yeah. should be able to pronounce that, being as how we're both, you know, northern Midwesterners. And, you know, you can tell talking to her, I get I get a little homesick listening to her voice because she's got that thick Wisconsin, mm. northern Minnesota, Minnesota, gosh darn yeah. it, don't you know, you betcha attitude <laughs> and accent, you know. So it's going to be a lot of fun to talk to her. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said... Maybe you weren't the biggest Vixen fan. Maybe I wasn't the biggest Vixen fan. But you got to—they were very relevant. True. You know, they for as far as influencing um, other female artists that came after them, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, hit singles, yeah, you betcha they had hit singles. You know, I had a bunch of them. And, got to tour uh, with some legends too. Got to tour with some legends. We're going to talk to her about uh, going on the road with Ozzy. Imagine that being four young Minnesota chicks, and then all of a sudden you're on tour with Ozzy. We're going to find out the the chaos that ensues with that. Then imagine being on tour. You know, you're you're four young girls from Minnesota, and all of a sudden you're thrown on tour with Kiss, and all you can do is try to slap Gene Simmons' hands off you the whole time. We're going to talk about <laughs> that. See, we see what was going on with that, and we're going to find out about the current state of Vixen. And you know, this is going to be more it, it goes beyond this conversation with jan goes way beyond just talking about this one band yeah you know i want to get that across too because as cool as vixen was you know she's been there and done it and seen it all from the the highest of heights to the lowest of lows from you know band members quitting in the middle of the tour and everything else so and she expounds you know. greatly on that we right we, we get the we get the straight dope from uh from jan on uh what happened with the Vixen with the makeup and breakup over and over again? The VH1 bands reunited. And, right. You know, a lot of people are like, what What the hell happened? Because, you know, you're suing them one minute and then you're touring with them the next. Right, right. So, so we, were, we, had to, we had to ask and she, she gave us the answers. Yeah, so if you're a big Vixen fan, you're going to really, really enjoy this interview because it's going to answer all your questions. All will be revealed by Jan herself. So without further ado, I say let's get right to it. you sent me this kickstarter project go ahead and tell me a little bit about um for people that don't know and we'll put a link up on the website what this project oh, is all, what this project is all about this is a project to help us get funding for our next new album that we'd like to record mm-hmm. and we've seen some other bands and artists on kickstarter and they've been successful they've done similar you know projects trying to raise money to record or whatever it may be, but it's usually usually more towards the recording. Right. And 
so Jenna found, you know, she's the one that discovered it, and she she put our whole um, the whole thing together. And um, yeah, we're just we're just very excited to be able to you know try something like that. Yeah, that Kickstarter thing is pretty cool. You know, that's a, that's a pretty new thing that's out there right now. And I know a lot of people, a lot of artists, especially you know that you know maybe don't have you know back in the day it was different you know you'd you'd get signed by a record company and they'd like front everything to you you know everything was paid for and then you go on tour you sell albums and you basically pay them back and then you get your cut out of it and it's not really like that anymore you know nowadays anybody can record an album in their house in their basement you know set up your own studio at home so I think that Kickstarter is pretty cool. I was just talking to some guys today, a band, local band here called Voodoo Prophet, and they're doing the Kickstarter thing in order to um, work it out where they can put together an EP. And they're offering, you know, T-shirts and CDs and DVDs. And even as they're going as far as, you know, if you donate a certain amount of money, they'll come do a, a personal concert for you in your backyard. So that, the Kickstarter thing is pretty neat. I like that. We, yes, we actually have that option on ours, too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it it is it's an amazing you know new thing that's that you know come up and um, we're very excited about it and like you were saying it's definitely not like the old days where a record company hands you a bunch of money you know there's nobody out there handing us or you know <laughs> any bands we know of <laughs> tons of money or any it's money true. for that matter yeah I mean so it's, it's, it's kind a... of bands have to kind of do it on their own nowadays right know? for sure I mean it's it's definitely different than the way it was at one time. Now, do you do you I like know. do you like the DIY way of things now compared to how it was back in like in the eighties? Because but because I imagine that in the eighties, well, yeah, while the, the record companies were giving you the money up front and everything to cover your costs and everything, it sounds some of the stories I've heard and I've even inter, you know heard read in an, another interview you did for a friend of mine, John Sparks, for uh, Legendary Rock interviews. It's almost like uh, indentured servitude, you know, when you're under their thumb. You know, do you like it better with the DIY way of, of having the control yourself now? Um, I would say yes, it, it is better now because you don't owe the record company your life mm -hmm. and your firstborn and everything after that. Um, although, you know, on the other hand, it was nice to be able to use their money to you know, make a video and make an album, mm -hmm. but then we were, you know, highly indebted to them, and mm -hmm. they called the shots. So yeah, to the point I, where I think even it is better now. your creativeness, you know, kind of takes a sidestep to, you know, here's what maybe I feel is right, and here's what I feel <laughs> is good. But then again, you got to listen to what the record company comes in and says, you know, and they say, well, you know, you might have thought this was great, and you might have thought this was good, but we don't. Kind of exactly because they're paying for it and calling the shots so mm -hmm. you kind of have to do what they want well, at least we did on our first record you know they had you know a lot you know all the control <laughs> well and and speaking of like you're around your first record because i i've I tried to do some research for this because i mean i i do remember you guys i spe obviously remember edge of a broken heart because th that was during my my you know probably my early teen years when that came out and um i was totally into that whole scene at the time um, but but going further back, because what I read up on was that you formed the band yourself in St. Paul in 1980, and then I've but I've read one report that you guys moved to that you moved to L.A. in 81, or that Vixen moved to L.A. in 85. Which one is that? Um, I we were already out there in 81. That's what I that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. And I got to imagine imagine the hard rock metal scene wasn't really happening in Minneapolis, St. Paul at that time, you know. Everybody was on mass exodus to mm-hmm. to LA to, you know, to be a part exactly. of that scene. Exactly. <laughs> and that would be right around the time Motley Crue was blowing up, is that right? Um you're probably right about that, although yeah. we were still so new to mm-hmm. LA, we probably weren't familiar with them till a little bit later on. As well as crew was lucky. I mean, they were already there. You know, when mm-hmm. you talk about bands like yeah, Vixen coming really. in from Minneapolis and Poison coming in from from uh, Pennsylvania, even Enough's Enough coming in from Chicago, you know, bands like that, that, you mm-hmm. know, if you're going to make it in that time, you know, you pretty much had to be in LA to do it. Yeah. So I know. Crew exactly. was lucky. They were already there. Absolutely. Yeah, really. I know. Yeah, I mean, we had to come out there and, you know, get waitressing jobs to survive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, how, yeah, how, how, uh, how poor did it get on the, on the way up? How, how broke were you guys? Oh, very broke. Yeah? Extremely broke, yes. Okay. <laughs> so when you're <laughs> There many... were times when we were rolling pennies, and then we'd go to the store and buy a baked potato oh. and some bread. and Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I've heard stories about, like... Uh, Blackie Lawless living in a like an abandoned warehouse, burning wood in a in a in a barrel just to stay warm. I've heard of guys in poison living in these <laughs> warehouses, and it's just like you know, depending on groupies to basically feed them. And oh, wow. it just it it amazes me the links that the bands went to back in those days. I don't think you'll see too many bands these days trying to go to those links to make it anymore. No. No, right. it's, it's just not the same. So then, when you guys were in Minnesota, you got you must have had a pretty good following in order to give you the confidence to say, "Hey, we got to pick this up and pack it up and move it to LA because we can make it there. We're doing pretty good here, huh?" We did. We had a booking agent that was getting us work, and we started out by playing like around Minnesota. Then we branched out to the five state area. Then I remember we were going down to South Carolina and Florida, and pretty soon this agency had us pretty much all over the country and we knew that if we wanted to make a record or do any recording i mean well we had done demos in minneapolis but if we wanted to make a serious record we knew we had to go to la mm-hmm. or new york was a possibility but it was it was much more la i think for us anyway for the we, scene at that time too i think yeah and, but but we had played around so that we did get that experience and we did have a good following and the agency really helped us a lot. Oh, okay. And in those early days, um, this is before the, uh, the debut album came out. I, I found an interesting thing online and I think I remember this from, uh, the old Showtime and Cinemax days of growing up about this movie, Hard Bodies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where you guys performed and please tell me this is a misprint as a band called Diaper Rash. <laughs> nope. I'm sorry. That's, that's the name they made us use in the movie. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad you stuck yeah. with Vixen. <laughs> yeah, I think Vixen's a little bit better than that. But uh, And you, you played this song called Mr. Cool. Is that really you guys playing? Yes. Yes? Yes. It, absolutely. <laughs> How did you guys get tied up in this movie? Well, a friend of ours who was an attorney, he worked at... Oh, I think it might have been MGM at the time, one of the one of the big studios, uh-huh. and he got wind of this movie being made, Hard Bodies, and they needed a band. Yeah, and he was a friend of ours, 
he was a good friend of one of our first road crew from Minnesota. That's how we hooked up with this attorney. Mm. And we were doing some shows. We were we were living in L.A. and we were you know driving to Wisconsin, as a matter of fact, nice. to play uh-huh. shows in like the Midwest, and then we'd come back home to L.A. We had a bus at that time, and you know when he came up with this movie idea, and and we already had some songs. And we presented him, and they said, "Yeah, okay, you know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll use your songs for the movie." And we were getting ready to go out on this tour in the Midwest, and it was like the night before we're going to go. We still didn't know if we had the gig for the movie or not. And it was like, "Are we going to go? Do we have to stay and you know, you know, do something for the movie?" And we found out right before we're going to leave. Like, yes, yes. We're definitely in the movie, and so we're very excited. <laughs> and uh, but we did end up having to still play some shows, and then come back and shoot some scenes. Go back and play some shows, and come back and shoot the scenes. But mm-hmm. it was all very fun and crazy. And and, and your glad we did it. And your review of Hard Bodies. <laughs> oh boy, that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I've never seen it. I'm gonna have to look that up, but I can imagine with a name like Hard Bodies. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, it, it's the pinnacle of acting, I'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Scotty, my man, what's going? Hey, he's causing too fucking much. Out of fucking sight. Hot fucking shit. Uh, I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better. I gotta go backstage and pump up one of the girls. And I. Uh, I, so after watching, I watched the clip earlier this evening just to watch it, and um, I'm, I'm dying to have a a boogie till you puke shirt like the guy in the scene. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, I just I had to find out the story behind that movie because I, there were so many interesting movies made around that time from that era. It screams '80s, but uh, and I guess it was just a, a constant stream of gigging between around that time between that and '88 when you guys got the when you put the uh, debut album out. Yes, we were making, we were finally, after we'd moved to L.A., you know, and waitressed for a while, we were finally making a living playing all mm-hmm. over the country. So that was great. We were loving it. And all during that time, we were trying to record and make demos, and we were going for the record deal for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And there were some member changes throughout that time, too. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of stress and... uh some people didn't didn't want to do that anymore. You know, a couple of the original girls and were they all from Minnesota with you? They come out there and some of them just couldn't hack oh, it. Or yes, yeah. the original band. We all went out to L.A. from Minnesota. We were all best friends and yes. And then one by one, unfortunately, you know, different things happened. Where you know, well, I suppose it's a not... kind of a stressful situation where you you know you're really kind of taking a huge gamble by picking up and packing up and going to L.A. You know, and then if things don't happen immediately, you know, some people get turned off by it and and say, okay, well, this didn't happen as fast as I wanted it to. But that's a credit to you for sticking it out, you know, and and really sticking to your guns and and sticking with what you believed in to make it happen. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, it it wasn't easy because we, you know, with, with my best friends, I mean, we were such a team. And then for, you know, any of them to leave, I mean, the first one was just, so hard when the first girl left because of the pressure from a producer in the studio and it was just like oh no our dream our our dream team 
is not the same. And then we, you know, would bring in a new person, and then, and then it happened again. The lead singer, who was also the bass player, uh, Gail, and she's actually the one that wrote that song, Mr. Cool. Oh, yeah. Um, she got married and just decided that, you know, it wasn't going to be right to keep on touring and playing yeah. while she was married. And so one by one, the original band was changing, and it was very, it was very hard, but I was determined to keep it going because it was my dream to have the band, you know, record and be a success and keep going. Mm-hmm. So, but it was hard. So what was that like? You got in the studio and then the producer said, you know, this girl isn't quite cutting it. You know, she's not up, you know, not up to ex- my expectations and gave her a hard time and kind of like Oh, that. yeah, he yeah. gave us all a hard time and she just didn't like the pressure, couldn't <sighs> take it, or as, didn't want it as much as the rest of us did. And she's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I don't need that, <laughs> you know. And yeah, because now we're out in the big time and, you know, studio times expensive and right. you know and then these L- la people were you know crazy little... right because i suppose in minnesota you're doing it pretty much on your own terms and like you said you know when you get involved with record companies and stuff all of a sudden you know your creative creativity gets taken and put into the side when they say this is what we want and this is what we expect exactly you are exactly right about that yes so how many of the original girls from Minnesota made it through to be on that first album? I'm I'm the only original one on that first album. Wow. So everybody else kind of petered out and you stuck with it. Yeah. So then how did did they just assign you new band, band members then or was it oh, up to you to find gosh, new people? No. <laughs> <laughs> um the whatever band we had together and our manager, we you know, like when the first girl left we had to find somebody to replace her. So our manager and and us, we auditioned many people. Went through, I mean, you know, we were looking at the, you know, musicians wanted, and mm-hmm. just like scouring all of the music, musicians we could find. And let me tell you, at that time, that long ago, there were not very many female musicians to pick from. Right. I suppose not. Um, singers, yes. There were there we had you know many singers who auditioned to replace Gail, who was also the bass player when she left, because we had to fill two positions. Mm-hmm. We had to get a bass player and a lead singer when she left, and and um, bass players not too many, but singers, yeah, lots of them, especially in California. But there were there were plenty of guys that would have looked the part, though, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess we could have gone that route. You know, but... Yeah. Well, I think some of the guys were probably wearing more makeup than you were. That's true. That is true. Well, that's that's the way it was. You know, that was the scene at the time. You know, the glam rock mm-hmm. thing was really taken off. And, uh, you know, I just got to say, you know, your band was even prettier than Poison. Yeah, which was a, quite a feat. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one time, I think we were in New York. We were walking down the street because, you know, in New York, that's what you do. You walk. Um, and somebody yelled out poison <laughs> so they may have thought that you know we were poison oh wow you yell back yeah. that's great tell them to take us on tour yeah exactly <laughs> well and on that on the original album or on the debut album with the uh, edge of a broken heart obviously written by and produced by richard marks now i read that this song was he, they wanted him to write and produce this 
so you guys could compete with the Bengals? Did you guys really see that this way? Because I always saw that as, other than being all-girl bands, I saw nothing similar between the two of you. really, no. I've never heard that before. Where did you hear that? Wikipedia, of course. (laughs) Oh, wow. No. Um, We had completed recording the first album, or so we thought. And, you know, just like you were saying a few minutes ago, the record company came in and said, oh, no, we don't hear a single in there at all. Isn't that a classic cliche? We don't hear a single. Yeah. Yeah. We don't hear a first single, so your album is not finished. And we're like, oh, okay. But they said, (laughs) but they already had, like, release dates kind of lined up and, you know, things were already planned. And so they wanted a hit single or a single first single immediately. So our manager also was managing Richard Marks at the time and Richard Marks, you know, is a great songwriter. So yeah. our and manager that, went And to that Richard was kind of said, before he broke as a, as a solo artist, right? Um he I don't he had had some success. I I don't know I think he was, how much he was just getting going at that time, I think. Yeah, he yeah. was probably just getting going at the same time, you know. And he was also on the same record label, and so our manager also wanted us on EMI, and it was EMI Manhattan at that time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, our manager called Richard up and said, can you write Vixen a, a, a single, like, right away, like tonight, <laughs> overnight? And wow. Richard, of course, came up with one, and he also got Fee Waybill to work on it. Oh, him. the tubes. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Awesome. And uh, so then we went in and rehearsed it, learned it real fast and the record comes like yeah that's it that's it so go in the studio and record it and richard that must have been part part of his deal that he wanted to produce the song that he had written um Yeah, because that Richard Marks, man, he had a formula for hit after hit after hit for a while there back in the 80s. I mean, that guy, when it came to writing hit singles, you know, that were going to be radio friendly and and get a lot of spins on MTV, you know, yeah, he had it under control. Actually, I know. So thank God our manager went to him for that song for us. I think he actually lives here in Nashville now, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, I believe so. He could write songs for the rest of his life and be fine. Good. He could have one for us tomorrow morning, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell him to give us a call? Hey, (laughs) sure. Vixen's ready for their next big hit single. That's right. We'll have the the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, then in the 88 and 89, you, um, you toured with Ozzy, Scorpions, and Bon Jovi. Is that correct? Uh, we toured with Scorpions and Ozzy, and we did one uh, festival with Bon Jovi. Oh, okay. I got to ask. I mean, I've been just dying. To, the whole time when I thought about doing this interview, I've been dying to ask, what's it like for some, you know, for a young girl from Minnesota to all of a sudden <laughs> be on tour with Ozzy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Offstage, he's a sweetheart. <laughs> and another thing, um, my... My parents came to one of our shows, and I think it was either Nashville or Memphis. I oh, don't really? remember which one when we were on tour with Ozzy. Mm-hmm. And my mom, to this day, she will pull out a picture of me and Ozzy that she took backstage because she's so proud. So, you know, it <laughs> if, sounds like... If mom only Oz- knew. <laughs> yeah, like she would have been, you know, maybe not... She was a big not- Sabbath fan, right? 
<laughs> a big what? Big Sabbath fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, no. But, um, you know, so Ozzy backstage is, you know, a lot different than what people think he is on stage. So but you uh, always hear the crazy stories of all the wild things that Ozzy does. I mean, was there ever anything he did that just blew your mind that, you know, this is the Ozzy of legend kind of a thing? Um, no, not, not really. Is that the, the mean, answer of I'm debating if I should really say this or not? No, no, <laughs> no. uh, I, I think he, I'm trying to remember now we were watching off stage we had already done our show, and um, I think he might have dumped water on the uh, <laughs> the uh, monitor guys or something. He did he did something a little crazy one night, but you know that's just part of his show. Sure. And, uh, so no animal yeah. sacrifices or anything. Mm, no, I don't think he was doing that on the tour. We were. <laughs> I'm really let down. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh man! It wasn't snorting no lines of ants or anything crazy like that, you know. Because you, you hear, you like, you read the Motley Crue book, you know, and yeah. he, he's doing all these insane things, you know. And I don't know if maybe he was a little toned down by that time, or if it's just all Probably. kind of legendary. Well, wait, this this will settle it right here. Was Sharon there? She was. That's yeah. it. That's why. <laughs> See, there you go. He was on his best yeah. behavior. Mama was watching. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. just as we are with our wives. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's why they're not here. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and then Rev It Up comes out after that. How Was Rev It Up a more enjoyable experience than the, than the, the debut? It was. Mm-hmm. Um, we had just one producer for the whole entire album of Rev It Up, whereas the first album we had the three different sets of producers. You know, Richard Marks, um, David Cole, and Rick Nair were one team, and then, um, um, oh, what is his name? Spencer Proffer oh, yeah. uh, produced a few of our songs, too. Quiet Riot's and, guy. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, we, were at, we recorded at his studio, and he had a completely different way of recording than the David Cole, Rick Nair team, which, you know, did the first part of it. So anyway, by Rev It Up, it was nice to just have one producer because it was more consistent. And also, uh, this producer on Rev It Up, Randy Nicholas, he allowed us a lot more freedom mm-hmm. than the first record. You know, song-wise, gotta... just part-wise, everything. And so it was more relaxed and... I think we probably had a little more time, whereas the first record, the record company was on such a a strict budget and time budget as well. We were nervous wrecks going in there because it's like, okay, you get five minutes to do this take. And it's like, okay, you know, (laughs) wow. Don't make a mistake. You know, the, the Rev It Up was a lot more relaxed than that. You got to always think about, too, with the, they call it the sophomore deal, you know, where you come out with that second album, you guys had a big hit single, you know, was there a lot of pressure at that time saying, hey, we've got to come back and we've got to come back with an even bigger single than we had the last time? I and mean, was there a lot of pressure with that? Um, I think so, but we were so busy and doing so much probo- promo along with the recording and the writing of the album that we were just too busy to even recognize that that might have been what was going on right but of course we wanted it ourselves to sure. be you know as good or as big as edge of a broken heart and uh 
you know, there was some trouble with the record company. Um, How Much Love was the first single off Rev It Up. Mm -hmm. And our manager was fighting with EMI and How Much Love was going up the charts and then all of a sudden it didn't get the promo that our manager was trying to get for it and it just kind of stalled. And it was like, wow, you can just see how the politics and the business can just like really kill your career you know i suppose i mean you can write the greatest song in the world but if you don't get the right push behind it you don't get the right backing on it you know it it might not go anywhere and part of the reason i think was because you know somebody at emi was pissed off at our manager and they just like well we'll show you kind of thing you know i mean i honestly think that that's what happened well you know and that's the business and the politics of it too you know like you said you can write stairway to heaven but if you, you know, <laughs> if, if nobody, if nobody hear, right, if nobody's <laughs> out there to hear it, yeah. exactly, exactly. Rubbing our last two brain cells together. This is a Decibel Geek Podcast. Listen to the Decibel Geek Podcast on your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones with Stitcher. Stitcher's smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Hi, this is Chris Holmes' Vodka Bottle, and you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. So then we go from, then you go on tour and you do um, so you tour with Deep Purple, and I remember you touring with Kiss on that Hot in the Shade tour. Yeah, uh, that was the. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, that was. I was gonna say it must have been pretty cool. And I was. Oh my gosh, we were like, wow, we get to play with Kiss. That was <laughs> that was amazing. That was awesome. Yeah. And I I was highly let down because um, I saw that tour in Nashville and you guys weren't on that leg, and instead oh. of, instead of getting to see you guys who looked nice, I had to look at Mark Slaughter and, <laughs> and deal with those guys the whole time. I mean, Kiss was great, of course, but um. But yeah, so so was it pretty amazing getting to tour with those guys? It was totally amazing. Yes, it was unbelievable. I wish it could have lasted longer. Yeah. But we had a blast, and they treated us very nice, very well, and respected us. And, Gene Simmons you know. wasn't trying to get in everybody's pants? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, he was a big flirt. Of course. <laughs> yeah, definitely a big flirt, yeah. And uh, obviously, with our connection to you from uh, Loretta, obviously you have good memories of Eric Carr from that time. Yes, I absolutely have great memories of Eric. Mm-hmm. He was a sweetheart, yeah. very sweet guy. And uh, what was it like uh, touring with Deep Purple at that point? Um, <laughs> that was that was fun too. And you know, they let's see, they were pranksters. I remember on our last show, they <laughs> they did some you know, pranks backstage and everything, but, um, and that was in Europe, so it was, it was different, mm-hmm. you know, like when we toured with Kiss, it was in the, in the States, and we're, we're familiar with all the places we're going, but touring with Deep Purple over in Europe, you know, we're going to some new places that we hadn't been to, and, I mean, that was exciting, but yet, it was just a whole different world, you know. Mm-hmm. Were you guys getting good response in Europe? Yes, 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 we were, very much. And Deep Purple treated us very well, too. And, 
Because I gotta memories. imagine at that point in time too, Deep Purple was a lot bigger in Europe than they would have been in the States at that time, right? I think they were, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Europe seems a lot more loyal to what they like. Not that I'm downing America, but America's real flighty, it seems, with, with rock and roll <laughs> in general. I mean, because Europe, that you know, if they like a band, they hold on to that. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's true. That's true. And then, you know, I just... We noticed that too, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, even not even just Europe. I mean, just other countries in general, you know, yeah. even like they talk about Japan, Japan. you know, uh-huh. Japan, how big, you know, some bands are just, you know, may have been years ago. Like, you know, and I hate to talk about like eras, like say, oh, this band's from the 80s. That band's a 90s band. I don't like that. You know, mm-hmm. I think a good band is a good band. It doesn't matter where they came, when they came out. You know, for example, nobody, you know, ever, never hear anybody say, oh, the Beatles, that's, that's a 60s band. You don't know, <laughs> nobody ever says that, you know, or Zeppelin, oh, that's, that's the 70s, you know. But then you get the whole stigma of, oh, that's an 80s band. You know, oh, that's, right. that's from the 80s. You know, I always thought that was funny, where to me, a good band is a good band, and it doesn't matter when they came out. But here in the yeah. States, it's kind of like that. Oh, yeah. You know, it's yeah. very, you know. We want to, we want to tag everything with right. a label. Exactly, it's everything yeah. is very and, labeled, and then they love you for a little bit, and then all of a sudden you you know you can't get arrested. <laughs> it's like it's like they yeah mm-hmm. can change, you know. Yeah, and then and well, well, if you don't mind me getting into this, because I've I've going over your history, it's it's kind of an it's unusual. Yeah, it gets I, kind it, of funny. It there gets for a little a while. convoluted here because you've got you guys the 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 uh, debut album lineup. Splits up in '91, <laughs> and this was um, right after doing the. Was it the MP, MTV Unplugged? Was right before that. Um, pretty, pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty close to the breakup, I think. Yeah. Okay, so that that lineup splits up, and I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and take it as a. You know the pressures. Well, yeah, of, you can say anything. You well, can say anything. Well, uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna, we, we were kind of talking about this before because I remember I worked on radio. When uh, the tour was going on with, uh, it was supposed to be uh, Rat, Union, and Vixen. And mm-hmm. at that time, you know, I remember that Tangerine, I think, was already out at that time. You know, hmm. but nobody really talked about, you know, what was really going on in Vixen, you know. But then when the show came to town in, in central Wisconsin, it ended up being Rat and Union, but Vixen wasn't there. And wow. uh, they said, you know, at the time, they said, well, Vixen has just broken up. You know, it it was like just happened. You know, there was so a was lot of. So was that like ninety eight? That would have been around, yeah, late nineties. Yeah, I'd say late nineties for sure. Okay, so it definitely wasn't the ninety one breakup that we had. No, no, right? no. That's no, that's the that's where I'm confused well, because if if Tangerine was the album that came out without you, you know, do you guys did they come out with an album without you? Then you sue them, and then you guys get back <laughs> together after that. I mean, is that how that works? <laughs> um. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because I mean, because clearly, I mean, obviously, clearly, Vixen is your band. I mean, you formed it out of all the original members. You're the only one that was on that original album, you know. And you get a bunch of other, you know, musicians. I don't want to say replacements because everybody becomes a part of the band. But mm-hmm. you know, at this point, then you know that's where I was confused. You know, where this other album comes out without you on it, but then you guys are back together, but then you're split up again. I mean, is that? That's it's confusing. Yeah, can you, okay, can you, let me see if I can make some. <laughs> please connect you. these it's dots. It's tricky. Okay, um, around 1997, I got a call from um, I think it was Roxy at first, and you know we had been broken up for a long time by this time, from mm-hmm. 91 to 97, and 
she had been talking to Janet, and they were saying, hey, you know, let's see if we can go do a tour, you know, let's get back together and do a tour. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'm open to it. And we were we were having talks and going with it, and um, I don't think Cher was interested at that time, mm-hmm. but the three of us, Roxy, Janet, and I were, were, you know, talking about doing it. And I remember this one conversation I was having with Roxy, and I said, well, we better, you know, call one of our keyboard players from years ago or, or you know, talk to somebody about playing keyboards. And And she said to me over the phone, she said, no, we're not going to have keyboards on this tour. We're going to have another female guitar player. And I said, well, then that's not a reunion. I said, no, right. <laughs> I'm not going. Right. So they didn't like that answer, and they went anyway. And then nobody called me. They continued like a year later, and uh, Janet and Roxy started working on Tangerine with this other guitar player, Gina. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they will tell the story that they asked me to be part of that record. And it's like, no, I was asked to be part of a reunion tour the year before. Right. That then, wasn't really a reunion. No, that you guys already behind my back were trying to have this other guitar player in there and um, not use keyboards. And I'm like, well, we have a lot of songs that the keyboards, yeah. you know, like crying and, you know, they're important. Why, like, I don't, I'm not, right. yeah. why, why so dead set against keyboards? Because they wanted to have another guitar player. Well, you know, here I, you know, and I can play the devil's advocate here. You know, I'm not a big fan of keyboards in hard rock and heavy metal music. On the other hand, you know, I do see your point absolutely because the keyboard was very instrumental in what you guys had done with songs like "Crying." And and you know, to not have that, I I would think the fans would be disappointed because, yeah, you know, it'd be maybe a more rocked out version of the song. But it's if you're talking about a reunion tour. You want exactly, you, you and it was it, like, well, this is yeah, totally different. This isn't a reunion tour, so this isn't what we started out talking about. So no, I'm not interested. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that seems kind of like diluted, I guess. Mm-hmm. So then, they, at that point, they decided just to carry on without you. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later, I believe it was '98. Uh, you know, was around the time Tangerine, and I heard about it from a friend that had heard it on the internet and the internet was like new back then. I mean, you know, I didn't have a computer, but somebody had heard something that there was going to be a new Vixen record. And I'm like, what? And sure enough, I found, you know, researched it and found out that they were doing, making this record. And that's when I was like, well, um, they don't really have the right to do that. So that's when I sued them. Right. And it sounds to me, you you had the rights to it. Yeah. They they did actually release Tangerine, obviously, right? Um, but they got sued over it, and I I won. And after I won the lawsuit, I was working with this manager, and he said, "Well, okay, so you won the lawsuit now. Do you want to make lemonade out of lemons?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, would you ever consider?" I mean, this was like probably another a year had gone by or something, you mm-hmm. know. So some time had gone by after the lawsuit. And he said, would you consider working with them again? And I said, mm, maybe. Right, <laughs> I can imagine. And he went to them and asked if they would consider working with me after I had sued them, you know. And they said, mm, maybe. Wow. So we all got together um, in Detroit, the manager's hometown. And that's when we started talking about 
you know, going out and doing a tour. And by that time, it was was the tour for 2001 okay. with Vince Neil and Rat and Slaughter, Slaughter. And so we all agreed to do it, except Cher. Again, she was doing something on her own with her um, bubble, her band bubble. Mm-hmm. Right. So she was not interested. So Roxy, Janet, and I, and a different bass player, mm-hmm. Pat, went out on that tour in 2001. Okay. So I know it's kind of confusing. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep with... trying to keep up. And then and that was that was called the Voices of Metal tour, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Right. But unfortunately, it was a really hard, rough tour. A lot of travel with. Uh, we were in a van, and you know. I suppose at this shows. point, you know, you're thinking this is now 2000. You know the whole climate of the music industry and the music of what po- what was popular and what is popular is two di- very different things now. <clears throat> you're talking about, you know, a time where you're on tour with Vince Neil and Slaughter and it's Vixen, in a time where the radio and, and the the record industry is dominated by bands that are considered like grunge bands and alternative bands, where you know metal bands were kind of looked on as. You know, and I hate to say it because I'll never agree with it, but they were kind of looked at as has-beens at that time. Or you right. know, novelty. Right. right, or a novelty act, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so right. I can imagine that's got to be pretty tough going from, you know, having a great hit single over the years, you know, touring in the tour buses, out there with Ozzy and Kiss, and all of a sudden now you're playing fairgrounds and stuff in, in you know, little towns in central Wisconsin. Right, right, right. It was different, definitely. And uh, we had to travel, you know halfway across the country to you know do be able to do these shows so you're right it was you know it was difficult difficult times and we couldn't hold it together you know it was falling apart so was it just a, the pressure of everything with the, the all the travel and everything and then obviously you know it's amazing that you guys made up to do a tour to begin with right after all after all after a <laughs> lawsuit know. much less anything so obviously all that travel and being in each other's faces i'm sure that just built up more and more pressure as it went on right it did, and a couple shows fell through, you know, so the, the money was even less than we thought. And this manager um, that had talked everybody into doing this, he was my manager. Um, so I was kind of like, well, okay, whatever, whatever happens, happens. But he had <laughs> led the other girls to believe that oh, no way would we be in a van. We're going to have a motor home or a bus or something nice. You know? Oh, he sold it up. He yeah. did, and he, he truly believed that himself. But mm-hmm. then when the shows you know, didn't all come through and the money wasn't there, there was no way that we were going to be able to afford that. So you know, we started out in a van, and he was like, well, this is going to change. We're going to you know, move up to a motor home or whatever. And we were never able to. Yeah. So they definitely were not happy, the other mm-hmm. girls. Right. Um, but because it was my manager, like oh, I said, I was kind of like, okay. It all well, fell yeah. onto you too then, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. it did. And it was just falling apart, and, you know, people were not happy, and nobody was getting any sleep. and <laughs> <laughs> Just a rough time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so at that point then, on and, yeah. do they just decide to up and leave? Mm, no, I mean, they were like, you know, arguments and fights between, you know, a couple of the girls and the manager and um, just, just, uh, <laughs> it was not real fun. It was not, just not working. 
It wasn't like touring with Kiss and Ozzy. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. It was not. I mean, I, I can't imagine how tough that's got to be, you know, to be, uh, you know, a big-time selling band. You know, you're selling tons of albums. Your, your video's playing all over the place. Everybody knows who Vixen is. And then at that point, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, and it stinks because the music climate, and maybe, you know, it comes back to the fact that, you know, America is so flaky sometimes with, you know, what's yeah. popular, what's not, you know, and things come and things go. You know, it's got to be kind of heartbreaking to get out there and know that, you know, look at the crowds you played in front of yeah. with Ozzy and Kiss and Deep Purple, and then you're out there in the van again, you know. And when you started right. out, you know, it's like, it's almost like full circle where you started out in the van, you <laughs> got to somewhere, exactly. and then you're back to exactly. the van again. I mean, it's got to be kind of yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. You, you, you got it, exactly. And, you know, comparing to what we were going through in 2001 in the van, I mean, we were in the van with our luggage and guitars, and we were like, sardines packed in there right yeah, yeah. and you know and the last time we had gone out together as a band and toured we had a big beautiful bus we had people carrying our luggage yeah. you know carrying our guitars and oh can i get this for you we had you know our own rooms and mm. now all that was changed you know like sharing rooms and three to a seat in the van with guitars right behind your head and <laughs> yeah so it's a lot different a lot different now we know you love the decibel geek podcast but right now i'd like to take a moment to turn you on to our friend's show um the pwashow.com talking about Corey h and debrew now these guys cover a wide array of subjects and you never know what you're going to hear these guys talking about but i can tell you this a guarantee that it's always going to be funny and it's always going to be entertaining that's true uh if you want to hear the all the new talk about occupy nashville adult onesies and a, a whole bunch of crank calls to Walmart employees, this is the show for you. Uh, Corey is kind of a hippie-ish guy who likes to go to Whole Foods and pay twice as much for groceries as everyone else. And Debrew is more of a laid-back conservative dude. I think he works for the police, so hopefully he's not going to find my stash. But uh, check oh, out the PWA show at thepwashow.com. Broadcasting from the rock and metal mecca, Nashville, Tennessee. What in the hell? This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. So then, but then the other girls end up leaving the tour and then uh, Jenna, Lynn, and Kat come in and finish the tour. Is that correct? Yes, they did. And, um, you know, to this day, it's, to me, it's, it's, like a miracle happened <laughs> i mean yeah i was curious about that i mean how did that how does that work when when half the band leaves in the middle of a tour i mean how and you got to do it quickly right i mean how do you quickly scoop up these new musicians and like you said it's lucky that you ended up with such great ones that stick with you through the years but how originally did you find them so quickly <laughs> um well our keyboard player on the tour um, he was also our road manager, stage manager, driver, everything, right? Mm -hmm. So when it was falling apart, and he's a good friend of mine, and so when it was falling apart, he, um, he and I, we were talking, and we just said, well, you know, wow, it really sucks to just call it quits and go home. I wonder if there's any way possible to find replacements and finish out the tour. Mm -hmm. So he called a mutual friend of ours and actually I had played with this drummer 
um, when the time when the Vixen had broken up, I played with a guy group, and it was called Population 361. Mm-hmm. I don't, you probably never heard of that. Mm-hmm. But so he called this drummer, who I had played with as well, and said, do you know any female singers? And he goes, yeah, hold on a second. And because he, he's, he's also a lawyer and so is Jenna, he calls Jenna on the other line while he puts Eden, our keyboard player, on hold and says, hey, Jenna, would you have any interest in uh, being the lead singer for Vixen? And she's like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. what are you talking about? You know. <laughs> then he comes back on the phone with our keyboard player and said, I think I might have somebody for you. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it was that's a true story how Jenna you know, came to be in the band. And um, we also put, or Eden, our keyboard player, he put an ad out, um, musician service or something. And Lynn was living in Florida at the time. And it just so happens that she had sent, I, I believe she had sent a package um, when the band first broke up to her management or something and said, hey, if you're looking for a bass player, you know, Mm-hmm. I'm a female bass player, whatever. So somehow she got wind that we were now looking for a female bass player. She gets on the phone with Eden, and he says, well, we're holding auditions. You know, we have like a two-week window before we have to go back out. So she flew from Florida to California, and she was awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is really happening. And... um Cat was actually, let's see, I think we had gone through a couple of drummers before we came to Cat, and we were getting down to the wire. Um, there was a good friend of mine in L.A. that was going to do it, and she, up to, almost to the last minute, she rehearsed with us, learned the songs, and all of a sudden it was like if she was going to go out on the tour, she was going to lose her very good day job, and so yeah. she couldn't go. And we're uh. like, oh! Now what are we going to do? <laughs> you know? And um, Lynn happened to know some other female players who you know, knew somebody who knew somebody who knew Kat. And they're like, okay, we sent her down. She, you know, somebody got her a tape one afternoon, and she learned a handful of our songs, came down and you know, rehearsed with us. And we're like, oh, she's great. I think this might work. <laughs> so like two days later, we had to be back out there for the next show, two or three days later or something. We only had a couple rehearsals with Kat. That's amazing. And uh, it, Yeah. How to form a band in two weeks. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and then we all get along so great. It's like amazing, you know. And did you, did you get any resentment from the other girls that had just taken off at the time? Oh yeah, yeah. I gave you a hard time <laughs> <Still> for. <do. laughs> oh really? You know, at that point, it's like, hey, you know, you walked. Yeah. You they, know, they you left. chose to leave. These other girls don't have a problem riding in the van with me. You know, we're we're making it happen no matter what. You know, and and they should know that because Vixen was your baby from day one. You know mm-hmm. that you weren't going to let it go. You know, so they chose to walk away. You know, you didn't. And here you've got some some other players that are coming in that want to be there. You know, that's got to be kind of refreshing once you, once you go back out on the tour after that two-week break. You come out with one band, you come back in with a whole new one, and everybody's appreciative to be there. I mean, how, how much better was the vibe then after that? It, it, it was a lot better <laughs> because, you know, they didn't have all the expectations, um, you know, because they hadn't been on the tour the tours in the 80s and the big, beautiful bus. and the, Right. You know. 
all all that. So they were very eager to, you know, be team players and go out and try it and do it. Okay. So and it was funny. I mean, the looks of the <laughs> the guys we were touring with, they're like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, because there were there were other breaks in the tour where we'd go home for a weekend or four days, five days or something and come back and get back on the tour, you know? Uh-huh. Like, well, you guys look different. Yeah. Did I drop yeah. too? Did I drop too much acid over the break? But they all gave us a lot of <laughs> that um, support. That was yeah. great. <laughs> oh wow! All right. Well, so we we go from, and this is that's the lineup that you're still currently working with. But yes, in the middle that's of all cool. in the middle of all that, then VH1 calls you up and shows up and says, "Hey, let's get these girls that hate each other's guts and put them back together I know. again." <laughs> so, I know. I mean, what is the deal? Yeah. So yeah, take, it's like the Godfather thing. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know. I, yeah. I don't know if you saw it or oh, you I just did. heard about it. I, I I love it. Was my favorite one of those bands reunited oh, shows. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. Because I always wondered. I always, you know, I was more on a peripheral of rock music at the time. I was in college and I was doing lots of things I shouldn't have done. And um, so so I sort of lost touch of being really in depth with what was going on in rock music. So when I saw it, I was like, holy crap! I was like Vixen. I was like, I totally remember this. And I and so I had wondered what had happened to, to the band. And uh, and boy. The uh, when the the meeting between the four of you, the first time you guys got back, uh, you could I mean you could cut the the, the tension in the air in my house. Oh, I know. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot I, of times yeah. you see these reality shows, and a lot of it is is perpetuated. I mean, that was pretty real, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> it was. I mean, there were some spots where where they edited it to look worse than it was. Like when Janet and I were in the room, and they made it kind of look really tense when we were alone in the room together Mm -hmm. and they chose to make it more dramatic you know which they're going to do because it's tv but what really happened was that you know when we first janet and i first were the only two in the room and you know we hugged and we talked a little bit and you know we were being filmed the whole time but then after about 15 20 minutes we ran out of stuff to say (laughs) <laughs> and that's what they chose to show, you know, <laughs> looking like we're like, hmm, hmm, Awkward hmm, silences. You know? <laughs> yeah, awkward silence, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I could, yeah. oh, I, I watched it and I was just like, and the, that meeting part that I was watching, I was like, this, this that is. That was real. Yeah, I was like. That was real when I, everybody was like, you know, kind of yelling back and forth, or not yelling, but, you know, like. Mm-hmm telling their side of the story you know well, and I, and that I, was real and it and i was thinking um initially this is not going to lead to a performance i was i was sure oh. of it because I, I was just like they they, I, they obviously hate each other <laughs> so i was oh. just like this isn't going to work out but it, it was it was fascinating to watch and you guys actually put on a good performance but like how was it um how did it how did the other girls react when you went to them and said hey the original band's going to do this tv thing i mean how did they feel about that oh they they were fine with it because i said it's a one time only and that's what it was you went into it knowing that yes and i don't think anybody any of the four you know janet share Roxy, or myself would have done it if they would have said okay you have to play together for the next year you know yeah they you know the way they approached it, it's a one-time thing so it's like hey why not yeah <laughs> it's good exposure anyway right right yeah, yeah. well you and know so the current bandmates they were cool with it oh, they're okay. fine you know we're big kiss fans we're always you know talking about 
different things in Kiss, and we always wonder, you know, how bad must that have been for like Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer when all of a sudden Peter Chris and Ace Frehley show back up, yeah. right? You know, and they're right. like, oh well, we're out yeah. on our asses now. We're just gonna do this one unplugged show, guys. I promise, it's yeah, not gonna uh-huh. lead to anything. You know, and in the uh-huh. back of the mind of the other band members, you almost gotta wonder if they thought, "Oh man, that, well that's that." You know, they're putting the dang VH1 putting the band back together. We're all out on our asses now, but that's cool that they knew that you were confident enough in them and their abilities and the good time that you were having working with them that they had nothing to worry about. Okay, and 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 you've put out material with this this new lineup here, and um, where's what's the best place to go to to hear the new material that you guys have put out? Um, it should be on our website, vixenrock.com. Vixenrock.com. Okay, and I, I, I have to ask this because this has been kind of a this has been uh, brought up over the last week or two that I've noticed. Um, as you remember, John Parks from Legendary Rock Interviews interviewed you not long ago, and you know what I'm going to ask you about the um, there's a Cher Peterson has all has been pushing to try to reunite with you again with the other girls, and there was a comment put on John's comment thing under your interview signed by supposedly all three of them saying we'd love we think the time is right we'd love to hear back from you do you have any response to that well i already responded oh, you did. because um you know i've been i've been asked that question many times in the past few years I'm many sure times imagine, yeah and my response was only maybe for a short time, like a couple years ago, mm-hmm. um, because I was working with that same manager <laughs> at that time that had put us back together in 2001. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do it again. And we, we started to talk a little bit about it a couple of years ago. You know, I talked to Janet and Roxy, and, and they, again, didn't want to work with this manager um, because they had such a bad taste in their mouths from the This guy is going to put us back in the van. right right and um we just couldn't come to any kind of agreement and and the thing is my the manager he had also talked to jenna lynn and kat a couple years ago and said look this could be beneficial to you Mm -hmm. you know if you go along with it or whatever um but it just it just didn't work out it was all back to the same stuff and it was just like you know what no i'm not going there and um so I've been approached a few different times in in the years since then, and most recently by by Janet, just mm-hmm. you know, like a month ago or so. And I already gave my response, and I said, "Well, thanks for reaching out to me, but I'm too busy with my current bandmates to consider doing a reunion." And um, apparently. They didn't like that answer. <laughs> well, I suppose not. <laughs> so that's know. how they, you know, share got this other page started or whatever to do. A... Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see it because I thought, you know, after the VH1 thing and, you know, like, because I even watched some of that earlier today. And even on that, Cher herself was saying, I look at this as a good send off to this lineup of the band. And it's like, I can kind of see your point of view of where it's like, well, you know, I've kind of put that to bed now and I want to do it this way, which, you know, you're totally entitled to that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, I can I can kind of see both sides of things. I mean, if you look at the difference between, let's say, the you know, now compared to 2000, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if you're trying to go out on tour with the original members in 2000, it's really not going to get the response that it would get today. 
You know, today uh-huh. you're looking at, you know, if you reunite with the original girls that, you know, with the, the rest of the ones that were there at the, at, towards the beginning, I guess. First album. Yeah, first album. We'll yeah. say first album. You know, it's considered more of a nostalgia thing nowadays where these uh-huh. bands from back then can reunite and it becomes a nostalgia thing. Mm-hmm. Now you've got to make the decision. Now, do you want to be a nostalgia act? Or do you want to carry on and be creative in your own vein of music, doing what you want to do with the band that you feel more most comfortable with? And, you know, personally to me, you know, and I know a lot of Vixen fans probably won't like this, but I say kudos to you for sticking to your guns and doing what you feel is right. Because you formed the band Vixen. You know, who knows? You guys you guys could go back out on tour tomorrow and it could be the same thing again. It could be Vixen <laughs> breakup number 18, you know? <laughs> Why bother? You know, why bother with it? If you're happy with what you're doing and you're happy with the band you've got and you're comfortable with it, I say stick with it and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you saying that. I mean, I'm probably the only one, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, and I just don't think it would do, you know, our current lineup any good if I went back and did the reunion with the other girls, because then, then maybe the fans would say, oh, well, you know, then it's always got to be the old right. lineup. Yeah. It gets confusing. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. don't Bruce Kulick those guys. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't do it. I mean, if they uh-huh. they came in and helped you out in a time where you know you really needed a strong band, you know, and it sounds to me like you've got one now. You know, yeah, and and maybe technically it's not the classic lineup that everybody expects, but hey, you know what? Go out there, produce this new album, and blow everything you've done before away. You know, come up with the best album you can, and then who can question it? Right? I love that. Yes. 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 <laughs> right it. on. Yes, exactly. Gosh darn it. You didn't, know, you, know. you didn't know you were going to get an Aaron Camaro pep talk, did you? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I'm happy. I'm, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Good deal. Exactly. Yeah. All right, well, that's it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, that was our talk with Jan Kuhneman of Vixen. Uh, got lots of uh, questions answered there. What do you think about that, Aaron? I thought it was great. You know, my favorite interviews, and we call them interviews because we're talking to somebody well-known, but the best ones are like those when it becomes a conversation. Yeah. You know, the the when we sat down with uh, Loretta, uh, Eric Carr's sister, that was the same deal. It was like a conversation, but I really enjoyed this one, and I feel like I might have influenced the outcome of rock and roll history. Yeah? I think Aaron Camaro. Is the, is the Tony Robbins of rock and roll motivational speakers. That was pretty awesome. And it, it wasn't nothing. It was just, I was just talking from the heart. You know, it's, it seems right to me. Thanks again to Jan Kuhneman for coming on. That was uh, awesome. Yeah, great interview. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we're going to have her on in the future. I hope I maybe guess... some other members of Vixen. And uh, be sure to go to our, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash decibelgeek. Give us a like. <laughs> go to Twitter at decibelgeekpod. And uh, go to our website, dbgeekshow.blogspot.com. Go to Leave iTunes. us comments. Yeah. Leave us comments. Like us. Everywhere you go, everywhere you see us, because we're out there all over the place. You listen to the episodes, you think they're cool, hit the like button. You know, leave a quick comment. Say what you liked about it. Because the more you do that, the better, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the better we're going to be forced to be. You control this show. You let us know. Hey, we got a phone number now, too, don't we? Yeah, we do. Well, you guys can look that up on the uh, website, too. It's on there. I don't have it right it's off It's dbgeekshow.blogspot.com. And I, if I'm remembering right, I believe it's 540-DB-Geek-1. I think so. I think that's what it is. But, but that number's there. You can call, leave comments, you know, say... Hey, you know, I, I, how about this? Let's use 
that as a request line for the next Radio Sucks radio show. We can do that as the, uh, you guys call up and make your request, and we'll do an all-request Decibel Geek Presents Radio Sucks radio show coming up in the near future. Sounds good to me. Awesome. Well, Aaron, I'll see you next week. All right, sounds good. I'll be here.